Welcome to Becoming Your Best Version, a podcast in which I get to interview inspiring women whose paths have crossed mine. I am your host, Maria Leonard Olson. I am a civil litigation attorney based in Washington, D.C., a podcaster, a mentor to women in recovery, a journalist, author, and TEDx speaker. Take a look at my book, 50 After 50, Reframing the Next Chapter of Your Life, and my TEDx talk, please hit the like button to move it up in the visibility algorithm, which is called Using Life's Challenges as a Force for Good. And today, I feel really blessed to have with us Lynn Crook. She is the author of False Memories, The Deception That Silenced Millions. She earned her degree in French and a master's in educational psychology at the University of Washington. She has served as a community educator and director for a sexual assault agency in southeastern Washington state. In 1991, she sued her parents for damages after recovering memories of childhood sexual abuse by her father. Following a month-long trial in 1994, the judge ruled in her favor at a time when 85% of the popular press was telling us that adults' accusations of childhood sexual abuse are false memories. She has presented at more than a dozen professional conferences in the U.S., Canada, Great Britain, and at the United Nations. She is a recipient of the Media Achievement Award from the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Disassociation. Dissociation. She hopes that her book will encourage the public to respond with compassion to adults, including themselves, who find the courage to disclose childhood trauma. You can learn more about her at lynncrook.com. She also has um, given us links to the Goodreads and Amazon profiles that I've put in the show notes. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to talk to you, Maria. So this... Wow, this journey must have been difficult. And I applaud your courage because I didn't tell anyone about my similar situation for decades. So what made you decide to go public with this? Uh, what made me decide was, well, as it, as it, I, I always thought that child sex abuse was a terrible, horrible, embarrassing thing. I was so glad it never happened to me. And I knew of certain people it happened to, and I just felt really sorry for them. Mm -hmm. um, so once I got a degree in counseling, I, um, I started thinking differently. And I ended up working at a sexual assault program. And I felt so much, I, I so honored the, my clients. I thought they were so courageous for coming forward. Um, and I really enjoyed talking to my community about child sex abuse. And they seemed really, really interested in it. They seemed concerned. They seemed caring. Some of them told me that they were molested as kids. And what, at one, after several months, I started getting panic attacks at work. And I thought it was fine. And I went, um, I saw a therapist and he said, um, well, what do you think might be causing these panic attacks? And I said, I really didn't know. And that night I went home and I 
began remembering that my father molested me and I was shocked. I was wow. just, it's hard to talk about it. I was just shocked. Um, yeah. It was, I, I didn't think he would ever do something like that, but uh, finally I realized that he did. And so I decided to seek justice because some of my clients had done that and I thought they were very, very brave. And that's what made me sue my parents because my mother knew. And I, today I think that if someone knows a child is being molested and does nothing, we call them a bystander. I think it's worse than that. I think that they are a child trafficker. I think wow. that my mother trafficked us because she wanted to live the good life in the home of a doctor and get all the respect that a, a doctor's wife would get. So my mother was a child trafficker. Wow, that is, that's heartbreaking. And uh, I understand because childhood sexual abuse is part of my story too. Although my mother says that she didn't know it was happening and I'm, I choose to believe her at this point. Uh, yeah, I would choose to believe her too at some point, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but since I was suing, she was, she was also responsible, so I named her in the lawsuit. She was not happy about it. She was not was she held liable as well? Yes, she was. Yeah, both of yeah. them were. Do you have any relationship with them now? No, nothing. After Let's see. After I filed, my father came over to have a, have a little chat with me. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I refused to accept what he said. He thought I was just mistaken. So um, no, I have I haven't had any conversation with him since the trial, and they're they're deceased now. Oh, yes. Well, that I that must have been so difficult. And not only did they cause you all this pain, but they also established a nonprofit and invested millions in a PR campaign to promote themselves as falsely accused to dismiss crimes against their children as false memories. What happened to that nonprofit? Is it still viable? Um, the beliefs that they promoted are still viable. You still find false memories in psychology textbooks and in the popular press. Every once in a while, I see a little citation that, well, since memories are false, or since the mall study showed that memories are false. So the, the belief is still alive, but the... Um, the foundation closed uh, a few years ago. Mm. Well, I'm I'm so sorry that this that this happened, and I'm sure it continues to have repercussions. In that, your family was affected, and probably continues to be affected. And you're still in your healing process, as as am I. But I think. Real healing for me was indicated when um, I no longer cried when I talked about it, and oh, yeah, and uh, and I believe when when you heal, it turns into wisdom, and I'm using that wisdom to help other women now. So I, I am guessing that you do the same. I agree that healing results in wisdom. Actually, that's a good point because what I did was. Um, I decided that the false memory campaign was promoting a false claim. And I knew it was false, and I decided to prove it. Mm -hmm. So I 
took the major study supporting the whole idea and I wrote an article, I co-authored an article about it. And the the um the author of the article that we evaluated was Elizabeth um Elizabeth Loftus. And she responded calling by calling us names. And we were shocked. And uh, we decided not to publish the article for a while and, and it was put on hold. And all of a sudden we realized that she was bullying us. She was trying to bully us into not publishing the article and we hadn't been bullied since childhood. So we decided, uh, you know, I think we're gonna go ahead and publish the article. So we published it and nothing bad happened. Um, she hasn't uh, gaslighted us publicly since. Now she's gaslighting. She's been gaslighting me for in for for years in um, in media interviews. And what I do when I hear about those is I just design an outfit that I would wear to match what she says about me. So uh, the last one was um, dangerous and deceptive. She called me dangerous and deceptive mm. interview. So I just decided, well, I dress on black, black leather, black hat, sunglasses, and I would look dangerous and deceptive. And that made it kind of interesting for me. <laughs> wow. So did it hurt your private practice as a therapist to have this going on in your personal life? I had to stop seeing clients because I knew that a false memory person in my community would, would try to set me up and sue me for implanting false memories. So no, I didn't see any clients after that. So you're not seeing clients now either? No, I'm not seeing clients now. Yeah, yeah, wow. The the ripple effects of this, of what happened to you continues. It's-, it's Yeah, it does, but I've learned, I've really learned a lot uh, in this process since the trial. I've learned that I can stand up for myself I can think clearly, I can fight fairly. Uh, my husband, before the trial, told me that I wasn't playing to win. So ever since he told me that, I play to win. I mm -hmm. analyze my choices, I decide what works best for me, I try to um, do everything honorably, and it, it's been working out really well for me. And the thing is, I, I don't know if anyone realizes this, but I'm 79 now, so I have grandchildren. Mm. And they looked me up on the internet. Mm. I just found that. And they're finding out good things about me. And I think oh. it's important. Yeah. It's yes. important. Definitely. Yeah. So the false memory claims, has that been discredited? Or is that, in your experience, still a prominent um, arrow slung at people who excavate childhood memories like this? It is. If you say that you were molested as a child, there are still people who will say, are you sure? Or I read about that false memory thing. Are you sure? And these are people that I wish I could talk to them and say, yes, I'm sure. I don't make up stuff like this. Who would want, who would want to believe this? And besides, there is absolutely no research supporting it. And the um, the lead researcher Loftus, Dr. Loftus says, well, there are other better studies. Well, all those studies, each one tells the subject, this is what your older relative told me, that you were lost someplace. Hmm. But that doesn't, 
therapist can't say that. Yeah. Well, work. as a psychologist, I hope that you will continue to write about this, especially about the false memory piece of it, because um, there's so many people who are dissuaded from coming forward because of, of false narratives and false ideas out in our society right now. So maybe you should do another article about it and cite your book as a way to increase publicity. I am. I am doing I'm doing a book chapter. I'm also telling people that if you don't go forward for some reason, then they win. Mm. Just mm. remember that they win. That's right. That's right. They get, away, they get away with a crime that they committed against you as a child and they win. Do you want to let them win? You can if you want, but you don't have to. Oh, that's such an important point. So, I mean, I'm guessing that you were victimized repeatedly as a result of um, going through with the lawsuit, right? What do you mean victimized? Didn't, I mean, they tried to demonize you during the yes. lawsuit. And um, did you feel like a victim once again during the lawsuit? You know, I didn't. Because I knew that I was doing the right thing. I knew that I was on the right side. For me, it was the right thing to do. And I did not feel, I felt that they tried. Like that my parents' attorney tried to victimize me once more mm. um, under cross-examination, but they didn't succeed because I was playing to win. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, also in the description of your book, it says that the trial, actually helped you uncover the rest of the false memory story. Can you explain that? Um, yeah, I heard a couple of my parents' false memory experts uh, testify, and then they went under cross-examination. And I realized that they can say whatever they want to the press, and the press publishes it. The press never fact-checks which gives them extraordinary power in our society because mm. they say whatever they want. And we believe it. Uh, the public believes it because the public does not fact check. But I, I, I fact check. Anyone can fact check what they say. They can. Yes, indeed. Well, you've also appeared in two documentaries that are related to child abuse. Can you tell the listeners about those? Uh, yeah, the documentaries, uh, the most recent one was uh, was Mary's. Um, That's Mary Knight. Mary Knight, yes. And that was a great documentary. And it's been viewed by, I think, hundreds of thousands of people. And she just wrote a book that was, it was filmed in my home. And it was an honor to talk to her. Um, she asked great questions and it, it, it just went, I was so glad that she asked me to do that. Yes, I, I would recommend going to Lynn's website and there are links to both of the documentaries. Uh -huh. So thank you for doing that as well. And was there a statute of limitations problem in your case? Uh, I had three years from the day that I remembered to file the lawsuit. Mm. 
and I made it by about uh, probably four, three months. And I was very conscious of that because I didn't want to do it at first because it was seems like over a overwhelming thing to sue your parents. And it's, yeah. I mean, it does now. It's like, oh, a big deal to sue your parents. So yeah, I'm I mean, it's prohibited in some places. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I had a wonderful attorney, mm. uh, Barbara Jo Levy. She was so great and she was helpful. And she was also very empowering. And I'm not sure that I could have done it without her. She was so great. And she was great. She was also great with the, with my parents' uh, experts. Mm. Really, really good. good. And so calm. And she never really got mad at them. She just used logic. Yes. Great. And you were lucky enough to speak at the United Nations at the Conference on the Status of Women. Tell us about that experience. I was. I was honored to be able to speak there. It was it was a huge audience, and there was a panel of us, but uh, about five of us. We all got, I, I guess, about 20 minutes to speak. And I got to talk about the cost of childhood, childhood sexual abuse and the cost of both emotional and financial. Financially, um, if someone out there decides to molest a child, they have to know that this will cause approximately $200,000 in, in, in costs for the child and for society. And mostly, if not always, the child molester won't have to pay for that. They're not held accountable unless they are sued. Hmm. I think that's totally wrong. Now, why did the trial take a month? Well, good question. I guess criminal trials usually take about a week, I, I guess. I guess, uh, were there a lot of expert witnesses? There were, okay, oh. there were. Um, I had two, they had two, and we had a, like a veterinarian come in and- Why um, a veterinarian? Yes, because one of my memories involved a horse. And so the false memory people will typically take the least, uh, least believable memory to them and make a big deal of it and say it's not true. So for me, it was my father had a big deal. Well, my father made me stick my fist into the anus of a horse. I know it's gross. I'm sorry, um, but he for did. what reason? What purported reason? He really liked that part of the body. Oh, he had. I, that's all I can figure out. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm so sorry, but um, so I. We had to call a veterinarian to see if that was possible. And yes, it is. Mm. Well, I uh, think that your book will, which is called again, False Memories, A Deception That Silenced Millions, Thank you. will help so many people who maybe even more people will come forward. Uh, in another context, I have researched the ability in various states to sue one's parents, and oh. it is uh, prohibited by law, some anachronistic laws that say that parents have the right to raise their kids however they want, but um, there are limits, and uh, your odyssey is illustrative of why this should not be the case. 
Well, what those states are also saying, I think, is that parents have the right to commit crimes against their children. Mm. Period. Yeah. If they can't be punished, so they have the right to do that. Well, I'm writing a book on the consequences of consumer DNA testing, and there's uh, a lot of paternity fraud that is being uncovered. And so many states prohibit, as I said, the suing of one's parents, even if they lied to you about who your father was. So it, it's it's new terrain, and you have helped to create precedent for why this needs to be taken out of our our laws. It is because they are, you know, if if you believe that one out of our gr four girls and one out of 11 boys are molested, and you take the population of the United States, 330 million, that comes out to over 40 million adults were molested as children. I mean, it's 48 million actually. Over 40 million adults were molested as children. What are we doing to stop child molesters? How many child molesters are there? Uh, can we stop them? Apparently not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but that doesn't mean we can't stop trying because even if you help one person through your efforts or my efforts, I believe that it is, it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile. If I could help one person, then it's worthwhile. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And help another person. Yes. And I think um, a lot of the quotes in your book too are really inspirational. Like this one, we are trusting as long as he isn't poor and toothless and or of a different ethnic group, as long as he looks like us and talks like us, most certainly if he's a priest or a pediatrician <laughs> or teacher, which it's true. And the priests in the Catholic faith, of which I was a member in my childhood, they got away with it. Oh, you were Catholic? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've long wondered if boys who grew up in the Catholic Church and find themselves more interested in children than in 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 female adults. Okay, pedophiles who grew up in the Catholic Church find themselves attracted to the Catholic Church because they know that the church will give them access to children. Wow. I mean yeah. that could be true. I think it's a uh, the hypothesis definitely is a reasonable one. I don't think there's a way to prove it, but I think it's a likelihood for some people, certainly. Uh -huh. I think there are some pedophiles in the Catholic Church that were drawn to the church because they would have access to children. And, you know, in other uh, institutions also, in schools or um, in health care services, mm -hmm. access to children there. Yeah. How about your um, nuclear family? Do you have daughters and did your children say anything about what was going on uh, about the trial, the book? Okay. Um, I have a son and a daughter and I have seven grandchildren. I told them they were teenagers when I recalled. I told them and um, I Eventually, I told them that I was going to sue. My son attended part of the trial, and the book has been interesting that they haven't read the book. And I talked to a number of people, and it's typical for children not to read the book 
of the parent who was molested as a child. Uh, I keep telling them they I would like them to, but they don't, and that's okay. Maybe they'll read it when they're older. I say the same thing about my books. I don't think my kids have read mine. I'd like them to, but I don't think. <laughs> I don't know the reason for that. Yeah, I maybe they're just not ready to process the information. Yeah, they they know it happened, and they stuck. They had nothing to do after that with the grandparents. So, um, and one of them did see a therapist and asked to, and I thought that was good. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. And you have a dog. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry about that, but let's keep going. Uh, okay. Another quote that I, I really like that you highlighted in your book was, unless you talk about it, unless it gets out there, unless you know there are people that care about you regardless of what has happened to you, unless you know that, it's hard to get to a place, to the place where you feel comfortable not only talking about that, but talking about what's what it's made you into. So tell us about why you chose that quote. True. That's the one thing that I think helped me to heal because my, my community, when I recalled, hadn't gone through the false memory campaign yet. And I could tell people and they were compassionate and they asked me questions about the abuse. Um, they were kind to me and they helped me get rid of the feeling of shame and embarrassment that I had, that I carried with me always. Um, the, the feeling of craziness that I, that I had ever since a child, when my father said that if I told anyone, they would think I was crazy. But these people did not think I was crazy. It was, I can it was very healing. I don't know if survivors can do that these days. I guess you have to um, choose your people that you talk to very carefully, but it is healing. Indeed, is. indeed. I found yeah. that allowing women to bear witness to my pain was healing for me. And in fact, I'd like to put in a plug for Saprea, S-A-P-R-E-A.org, which offers free retreats in Salt Lake City and the Atlanta area that are for any woman who has been sexually abused before turning 18. And I'm actually speaking, I attended one and I'm speaking at their annual fundraiser because it is an amazing organization. And I met um, a dozen other women who had similar experiences and we continued our healing journey together and we continue to do so. I'm still in touch with them. And these people started this foundation because I assume someone close to them experienced childhood sexual abuse and now they want to use their money to help women continue to heal as adults. It's beautiful. What a great idea. I'm going to look into that. Thank you for telling, telling us yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, I had a terrible substance abuse um, issue and I went to uh, alcoholic treatment center rehab and um, they, learned my story and they made me or recommended that I go to uh, rehab for um, sexual abuse as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't know I didn't know they existed, but they do. And um, it really did help me. I felt like for the first time in my life that I wasn't a freak that 
this happens to a lot of people. And I also learned the statistics like you cited earlier, one in four American women will have been at least at least sexually assaulted during their lifetime. And it's it's kept secret because many of us are filled with shame. Yeah. And you have helped to open the door for more healing, in my opinion. Thank you. It wasn't as if the, the shame left in in one minute but after I talked to one person. It was a very slow process. But then all of a sudden I realized the shame was gone. And it was amazing to realize that I wasn't ashamed anymore. I thought, how, my, how old were you when that you felt that lift? I would say I was in my th past 45, probably around 50. Yeah, me too. It really? was until when I became able to talk about it, to really seek some healthy processing and uh, really move on from it. But otherwise, I likened it to holding a beach ball underwater. It took a tremendous amount of psychological energy and it would pop up in unexpected ways if I was triggered by some unsuspecting person who said something that triggered me or did something that triggered me. So, yeah. I like a beach ball underwater. I really like that metaphor. Wow. Well, I learned it in rehab, but it, it, it's still something I think about all the time and that I use okay. talking to other people who are unwilling to face their life traumas, whatever they may be. Okay, well, I'm going to use it too. Thank you for sharing. Good, good. Please do. It really, I think, helps people understand because everyone has tried to hold some something inflatable underwater before. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you have done so much to help me, your readers, the people who hear you speak. You have stood up to bullies. You have stood up to people who said you were crazy. And you you are an angel, in my opinion. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you, and I hear you, and honor you. And I'd very much uh, like to hear, now that this has hopefully mostly past other than you're speaking about your book now. Um, what do you do to become your best version? What I do is something I learned a long time ago. Um, and I used it again when my husband died about 20 years ago, I used it again, always make, always make the best decision I can. Oh. Mm -hmm. Always think things through and make the best decision I can. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit longer than I think it should, but um, it works. And what, how do you know you're making the right decision then? Like, do you have a process you employ? I, well, I, I think it through, think of all the alternatives, and it can get into too much overthinking, I know. But um, I kind of get... It's like an aha feeling. Oh yeah, that's it. I need to do that. So I do that and it works. Um, I think before I just used to do stuff and, you know, think, well, I'll just do it and something will happen and I'll fix it maybe. But thinking things through is a very adult, professional thing to do. And it, it makes me feel, it makes me feel happy. When I when I come across the solution that That's I think beautiful, yeah. really beautiful, and I think 
it's another way of saying being more intentional about how we move through life. Yes, yes more intentional. Yeah. yeah, thank you for that. And yeah. I would really encourage all of you to pick up her book, which you can get anywhere, uh, including Amazon, but Amazon, also yes. on order at any bookstore. And go to lynncrook.com and you won't be disappointed if you have any loved one who has suffered a trauma, even if it's not of this kind of trauma, this is a book of redemption and it is instructive for all of us. Thank you, Lynn, for being here today. Oh, thank you, Maria. Thank you so much. Thank you.